Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello and welcome to another edition of the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, Chief Economist at AirDNA, and I'm here today again with my good friend, colleague, and fellow economist, Bram Gallagher. Bram, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's always a blast. Yeah, so this week we released our 2024 Outlook Report. Uh, it's our, what, twice a year now, and I think we're going to be updating this uh, even more often, but it's our chance to get sort of nerdy into the numbers on where the industry's been and most importantly, where we think it's going. So right. you excited to dig in? Absolutely. So for our listeners, if you've been listening along, you know that Bram is our economist extraordinaire. He's been running the forecast now for just over a year, is that? A year and a half you've been here at AirDNA? Yeah, just about about that long. So And so we're going to start with a report card for Bram to just see how he did on this past year, his outlook as of when we talked last year at this time, and see how he did. So let's start with demand, Bram. So last year, our outlook was that 2023 was going to grow at 5.7%. How did you do? You know what? We did pretty good for demand. It was a little bit stronger than we expected. 6.7 is what we're thinking for 2023. So that actually sounds pretty great, given that I know we were expecting a recession or at least a, a significant slowdown in economic output. We didn't see that. The economy actually held up pretty strong. The fact that demand surprised the upside only a bit, like, seems like you pretty much nailed it, given that we are working with an economic forecast that was a bit too pessimistic. Right. Yeah, I recall that January when we had we were having a conversation about the economy and Oxford had some very dire predictions about what was going to happen. And the interest rates had gone up faster than we'd ever seen. So it wasn't founded on nothing. Uh, but of course, January, we also had that stupendous jobs report of 472,000 new jobs added. And uh, that was kind of the theme of the whole year, was expecting recession, and, and we continuously got these great job reports and good economic uh, signals. So, Bram, I'm going to grade that one as an A+. Great job. Thanks. Next, on supply. Uh, so we had forecasted listing growth of only about 8.6%. We are expecting a considerable slowdown in supply, given that and investability was essentially at all-time lows. Uh, we had seen a significant rise in home values. We'd seen a significant increase in mortgage costs. Overall, short-term rental revenues had essentially plateaued in 2022. And we expected investors to really pull back. And that would not mean supply goes down, but that it would slow pretty significantly from the almost 25% growth in listings that we'd seen in 2022. So how did it play out? Well, we've got good news and bad news there. On, you know, on, the, on the one hand, it did slow. So you know, it's not 25%, but on the other hand, it was significantly higher than we were expecting. The Knights listed percentage change looks to be about 12.8%. That's, that's quite a bit higher than the, the eight um, that we had previously. 
but again, we are slowing the, the number of new listings coming in. It was about 340,000 new listings between February and, and November last year, only about 300,000 uh, this year. But still, there was quite a bit of strength and supply that I, that I wasn't expecting, especially in October and sep- or in September and October, which we, we had never seen available listings increase during those months, uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, but we did this year. Yeah, so... Maybe what we underestimated was the lock-in effect that was out there, that the fact that homes weren't transacting, people that have second homes maybe have underutilized assets as they, I mean, life changes, have to head back to the office, that I mean, more people look to list and operate their existing second or third homes as short-term rentals instead of maybe selling them if uh, we were an entirely different sort of home value and interest rate environment. Right. It's the the, uh, the two-edged sword of the increasing interest rates. So, you know, on the one hand, it's, it is difficult to enter the market and, and to acquire homes. You know, we've seen the housing market drop off a cliff. There's hardly any transactions going on this year. I think about half of the realtors, in fact, have moved on to different professions over this last year. I've read something like that with, uh, with NAR. Uh, but yeah, there's also the the idea that it's well, if you can't sell your home, then yeah, let's keep it on the short term rental market for a little bit longer. So, uh, you know, this has affected the churn a little bit. Maybe has an unexpected effect that we haven't experienced before since we haven't seen interest rates interact with the short term rental market in this way before. Yeah, so so maybe maybe a B minus there and supply coming in significantly hotter than we would have otherwise expected. Uh, The sort of combination of those two, supply growth, demand growth, supply outpacing demand pretty significantly meant that our forecast of occupancy, where we had been expecting a decline of 1.5%, ended up being more of a decline like 5%. So significantly worse there. Maybe again, that sort of B minus to a C in terms of our outlook, uh, just given on the strength of supply and its impact on occupancy. ADRs and RevPAR. Uh, So we had been expecting ADR growth, maybe not as high as inflation, uh, still a real decline, but a nominal increase of about 3%. And our expectation expectation on RevPAR was about a percent and a half. Where did those come in? Right. Well, it depends on exactly which ADR figure that you want to look at, whether you're going to want to look at uh, sort of that repeat rent index that we've been developing over the last year. But, you know, if we looked at the raw ADR numbers, we did very poorly uh, because ADR actually retreated a bit this year, if you look at just sort of the, the raw aggregate. So we have inflation, but it's important to keep in mind that while inflation is an increase in the general price level, what we've seen over the last year is that prices of different goods have changed quite a, quite a bit differently. One of the ways that um, I think that's affected people is when your budget is pinched with, say, higher rents or more expensive food, then you look to cut back in other areas. And, and I, I think uh, uh, your vacation might be one of those. But we, we saw, yeah, negative ADR in sort of nominal aggregates. And if we look at the same, same store sample or the repeat rent index, so what was your rental doing if you were running it over uh, several years? Uh, it probably stayed about the same same ADR. So maybe a half a percent for the repeat rent index for 2023. Most of that in the beginning of the year. Yeah. So 
And the weaker occupancy and obviously flowing through into weakening pricing power. So rates on a same store basis were essentially and slightly up and up about half a percent to a percent uh, throughout the entire year. Revpar's down four or five percent. So and overall, a significantly weaker year than we are expecting as at the beginning of the year. But we know the culprit supply. Uh, we know sort of how it's played out. Demand, I think we've got a pretty good handle on. And something that I maybe surprised me a bit when we look at the numbers is just some of the real weakness in, in demand growth that we saw across our sort of traditional leisure markets, coastal mountain locations, uh, demand growth only up like 2 to 3%. I think a big piece of that was the return of different types of travel. So in 2023, in aggregate, we saw a 78% increase in cruise demand, which I didn't go on a cruise this year, but I, I did hear a lot of people that were, that had maybe avoided it for years because of the pandemic. I mean, it was still on people's memories, the sort of, was it the princess cruise uh, dilemma with the COVID outbreak back in 2020? It appears that people are finally back to the boats and that that could have impacted uh, demand some for short-term rentals if you sort of choosing between a, a home or a, a cruise. And then there was also a big uptick in international demand. Mm. Uh, so when we actually break out that 7% demand figure uh, for short-term rental demand, we saw about a 4% increase in domestic travel and a 17% increase in international trips by Americans. And so if you think about maybe someone deciding between, and I know both our families make regular trips down to the Destin, Panama City area, uh, which is a great domestic trip uh, where we live here in Atlanta, but uh, more and more people choosing to maybe take a trip to Greece or the south of France or Spain and uh, that that is at the loss of a, a domestic travel trip uh, for for U.S. short terminal operators, and that that was some of the reason for the weakness this year. Yeah, we, and again, we go back to the beginning of 2023 or even the end of 2022. I saw an enormous run up in the strength of the dollar, reaching parity with the euro. So it was expensive if you were European to come to the U.S. and it was. It was less expensive if you were American to go to Europe. And when confronted with, all right, do you want to go to Panama City uh, Beach, you know, that, that you've gone to in the years previous, or uh, maybe take a trip to Paris. The hotels cost about the same. Uh, you know, a lot of people chose Paris this last year. So there, there is, there was an imbalance in, uh, I, I think, domestic travelers going overseas, especially compared with uh, international travelers coming to the U.S., which, which, uh, hindered demand to, to to a little bit. Though we did see a big increase in uh, international travel back to the U.S., uh, still not back to 2019 levels, uh, but overall travel spend to U.S. locations uh, now only down about 7% uh, versus 2019 levels, where when we were sitting at the beginning of the year, it was down 20, 25%. So significant recovery in international travel. And I, I think that has led to some of the winners and losers this year in terms of market performance, where you have some of the larger cities seeing uh, some stronger demand growth. 
and maybe not the supply growth that we want, uh, but are sort of over-indexing a bit on year-over-year growth on demand. And then subsequently, uh, the domestic leisure market's giving up some of that demand as the uh, guests go back overseas. Right. You know, and I expect that to continue in the 2024. So whereas we had that very strong dollar at the beginning of the year, it is it is much more normalized now. It's starting to approach more sort of historical norms as far as the exchange rate goes. Uh, I just looked up uh, Eurozone inflation is just dipped below U.S. inflation. It's at 2.9 instead of 3.2 in the U.S. That's Eurozone, not not European Union, which is a bit higher, but Eurozone inflation. So I expect that um, that exchange rate is going to continue normalizing. That will help international travel. And the other thing, of course, is that I believe you know our, our European counterparts were a little bit more skeptical about COVID and, and, and international travel generally, a little bit later to release some of the restrictions and maybe a little bit more hesitant to travel. But as time goes on, that's helping. To your point, yeah, what we I, I, we saw a much stronger uh, urban demand growth in 2023 than we did in, say, uh, the coastal or mountain resorts. And that was, I think, certainly benefiting from it. 7.6% in urban, that's the demand growth, versus 28 in coastal. So, you know, uh, more than twice as, as, as quick. So that's, I think, you know, that's impressive and something that we we're not exactly used to maybe over these last few years with the strength of the leisure market that we have been seeing. Yeah. And urban RevPAR, I mean, while negative in urban areas was less negative than we'd seen in any other location type. So I'm still not fully back in terms of 2019 occupancy levels, urban uh, and suburban. I'm essentially our largest 50 cities and there's still some room to recover there. And hopefully we'll see some of that recovery further on um, into 2024, uh, but still some ways to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm optimistic about it. There's been a lot of talk about regulation and, and say, you know, how New York has stepped up enforcement. And, and that might put a, a bit of a, a crimp on in supply growth for urban areas. On the other hand, some places that are famously regulated, San Francisco and Boston, had pretty, pretty strong supply growth this last year. Again, still not quite where they were pre-pandemic, but you know, it gives me it gives me some optimism and hope that these markets are continuing to develop. So uh, as we start to pivot towards what we think is going to happen for 2024, and I've got full confidence in your outlook this year, Bram, but want to get your sense of and supply growth because that I think again is the area of the forecast that we have the least confidence in, given the just variability of supply. We saw the just this past week, the Fed pivot uh, from their really restrictive stance towards interest rates to saying that and they want to be much more uh, relaxed, uh, that they want to focus on the dual mandate, not just on bringing inflation down, that uh, it looks like that uh, that has been accomplished and that they can really focus as well on making sure we do continue this soft landing uh, and not be so restrictive towards the overall economy. So on one hand, that makes me feel good about demand, uh, that we may be able to skate through and not see an extended period of negative GDP or uh, job losses in 2024. 
but it also scares the uh, bejesus out of me that uh, <laughs> the housing market might unthaw uh, and we start to see more growth in supply, uh, even while we don't have the sort of subsequent resurgence in overall GDP and employment growth that would help demand keep up with it. So given all that, like where did we end up in terms of our outlook for for demand, supply uh, and occupancy next year? Well, we've uh, you know, there's a lot of great points that you bring up, and I can sort of expound on that. But yeah, to get to the bottom line, we are thinking that demand and is going to be a little bit stronger than it was in 2023, and supply a little bit slower. So we're going to achieve more of a balance. So 10.7 percent on dem- demand for 2024, 10.9 for supply. So very, very, very close. Our occupancy has. It skyrocketed in 2021 as as uh, the pent up demand was was unleashed, limited supply as well, and it has been continuously approaching its long run average since then. As we've seen a lot of new supply into the market, so that 50 uh, or the, the occupancy, that 55 percent occupancy, that's about where we saw the market end up in uh, 2018 and 2019. That's about where it is right now, and that's about where we expect it to be uh, next year. We did just have a, a meeting, uh, the FOMC meeting, and they were a little bit kinder and gentler about their interest rate hikes. And I'm very glad to see that I think the 5.5 five terminal rate is going to be the, the top. But you've got, you've got markets pricing in maybe six cuts next year, and you've got the Fed actually admitting at the most three. So I think there's still a little bit of maybe uh, over-enthusiasm about the pace of interest rate hikes. Because as far as the dual mandate goes, I think we're still below the natural level of unemployment. You know, we're well below 4% uh, on, on unemployment. Uh, and we're still well above 2% on the inflation, whether you look at core inflation or, or just the CPI. So as far as the balance of the dual mandate, they're still accomplishing full employment, but we've got a little bit more work to do on inflation. So I'm expecting rates to stay high through most of 2024. And if we do get some cuts... They're not going to be, we're going to start gradually tapering off of our interest rates. So I wouldn't expect the housing market to uh, necessarily explode, but we definitely are going to see some loosening as, as we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. But something else to think about is that that dual-edged sword as well. You've got a lot of people hanging on perhaps to properties that they can't unload in this in this market environment. If we do see some loosening next year, we might start seeing a little bit more churn uh, uh, some people uh, exiting the market as the re- per unit performance that maybe they're expecting if they were benchmarking off 2021, those historic highs, they may have been disappointed this year. So uh, so I think that all of those things are going to contribute to a, it's a, still a pretty s- strong pace of supply growth, 10.9% is what we're expecting in 2024, but much more in line with the actual demand growth that we're seeing. Okay. So that makes me feel a little bit better and that we're <laughs> sort of and moving into this uh, period of equilibrium. You can't expect a, an economist to make you feel too good. <laughs> and it's, it is something you saw and we see in the data and AirDNA started collecting data back in 2015 and, and 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, occupancy was 
typically I'm not moving much from year to year. We saw demand and supply growth really I'm sort of in check. We saw typically demand slightly outpass, outpacing uh, supply and broader adoption of short-term rentals into the, into the overall marketplace, overall occupancies generally rising over time. We'd seen that sort of 55% average and through 2017, 2018, 2019, that seemed to be sort of the equilibrium of where the short-term rental industry sort of shook out. And now we're sort of back to that 55%. And what you're telling me is, and you expect us to stay there for, for at least the near future. I think so. You know, there is this prevailing theory in, in sort of hospitality that uh, there's a natural occupancy rate, very much like the natural employment rate. Uh, and it's just when the market is functioning uh, uh, well and there's no disturbance to it, there is this, this occupancy rate that it kind of lands on. And when the occupancy rate gets lower than that, the performance is not so good, so people drop out, supply diminishes, occupancy goes back to that rate. And when you're above it, as we've seen in the last couple of years, you see a lot of supply. We have seen very strong supply growth, and it has been rapidly bringing down that occupancy to the, the long-run average that we've, we've seen before. So so that, that's the theory and the, the behavior that we've seen and observed in the market is very, very consistent with that theory. We've finally gotten back to that long-run average occupancy. We already are seeing signs that supply is, is slowing quite a bit. So it, whether it's the, the fact that the number of available listings that were added this year is smaller than last year, whether it is that new listings are slowing and they're slowing at an increasing pace and, and whether or not we see short numbers go up next year, that could, that could play into that as, as well. But that 55%, it looks like that's a stable occupancy and one that the market can support in the long run. Yeah. And I, I think it's an important note on the churn numbers because it's something that I, I know there was a lot of concern about of with declining RevPars and, and RevPars were down this past year, 5%. Um, we're down, uh, I think, on average for entire home, uh, single family home rentals down about 11% from the peak on a monthly basis. So I'm clearly off on some of the highs that we'd seen in 2021. And would that start causing hosts to churn out? Could we see supply go negative? And essentially, that 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 that's not there. I mean, churn is still at really low levels. I'm not necessarily the levels I'm the overall lows that we saw in 2021, but we're still below 2018, 2019 levels of churn. Short-term rentals in general are a relatively high churn sector in terms of a lot of urban supply. People sort of come in, come out. We see overall lower levels of churn for dedicated second homes in, in sort of coastal mountain markets. Uh, those are still at sort of record low levels. We do hear some uh, larger property managers talk about elevated levels of churn, but maybe isolated to their operating models, not necessarily something more broadly that we're seeing playing out in the industry. Yeah, and it is it's difficult too because the last few years I think have been very anomalous. We can never lose sight of the fact that I mean we had a you know once in a century pandemic that caused incredible shifts in the market. So 
uh, you know, churn was affected and it was affected for different reasons. At the beginning of, uh, you know, 2021 or, or during 2021, you could, you could expect low churn because people are making so much money. Uh, now we can expect low churn because the housing market is, is frozen, um, essentially. Um, so, but it, it's, it's important to note that all of these years are exceptional years. And uh, it's been really interesting to, to be able to look at the data. And each month that new data comes in is, you know, sort of a new revelation for the short-term rental market because we haven't been, we haven't necessarily been here. You know, we haven't had a year of falling rev par. So, and, and you know, it's, it's 5%. And it's still well above, I should point out, where we were pre-pandemic. But yeah, if you're using 2021 as a benchmark, it is a bit disappointing. Um, but again, that's an exceptional, it's an exceptional year. And so maybe a good time to call out uh, Bram now digging in and, and writing up our monthly reviews um, on the AirDNA blog. So highly suggest to our listeners to keep an eye on those uh, or give us regular updates to what's happening uh, in the sector. I know we we cover them on the podcast as well, but a very well-written, succinct pieces on just the ins and outs of uh, short-term rental performance in the U.S. Uh, and in Europe. Bram, the last sort of point I want to uh, get your thoughts on is just where are the risks? Where are the ri- are there risks to the upside? Are the risks to the downside? When you think about and if you were going to put a, a bias towards the forecast to and could it be better? Could it be worse? And maybe where where's your thinking today on, on where that might be? And then I'll give you my thoughts as well. Okay. Well, I've got good news and bad news there too. Uh, start out with the good news is that I think the most likely, by far and away, the most likely scenario, the baseline that we're working with is that the economy actually does very well, does better than we expected. Uh, say a year ago, uh, we avoid recession you know, it's a soft-ish landing. We'll have a little bit of a slowdown, but it's not going to be a recession. Uh, so that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that, you know, that our most likely scenario is is the economy performs well, but that gives us all sort of a lot of, of uh, you know, room to, to mess things up. Uh, there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of downside potential. Um, you know, they might be an outside chance. Though I recall at the beginning of 2020, talking to Jack Cordial and trying to think what could uh, derail the, the hospitality industry. And, and we said, you know, the economy's doing great. Nothing is really going to derail the hospitality industry except a black swan event. And uh, well, we got one. So there's always that. And I should point out, too, that the demand was materially affected this year by some natural disasters that occurred, where the, the wildfires in Canada and Hawaii, uh, hurricane activity in late 2022, and, and also this season as well with the Dahlia. And these things are difficult to predict, but they can have uh, an impact. So those, of course, are always risks that are present. There are some other risks to the economy as well. Uh, consumption uh, and growth in consumption has been driving the economy and has really helped get stellar results in, say, quarter three. But a lot of that is drawing down on the excess savings that we had during the pandemic. Those have been uh, you know, greatly diminished. People's balance sheets are still looking pretty healthy, but... There isn't that surplus, I guess, of saving that, that you, you, you had when you paid down credit cards, maybe because you, you weren't going on vacation in 2020 or you weren't uh, going out as much in 2021. Uh, so that's been, that's been uh, uh, taken down. Of course, the student loan repayments is going to be another small thing. We've got maybe looming commercial real estate collapse could happen. You know, we still have a lot of office vacancy 
Um, so that you know, that's that's disturbing for a lot of B class stuff living in Atlanta. That's certainly a, a, a concern here. The housing market too it is it is very very frozen. We haven't seen a whole lot of uh, price diminishment. You know, we haven't seen like we did after the the Great Recession in, in 2008, 2009, 2010. We haven't seen those big price cuts happen to residential real estate either. So, you know, there's that sort of wealth effect that is propping up some of this consumption because people can look at their homes and, and uh, uh, impute some kind of value there. So there could potentially be uh, a crash there in asset values if we've got these interest rates that are maybe too high for too long. So the Fed still has you know some work to do. So And don't get me started on geopolitical crises. We've got a bunch of them that are just boiling up. Um, and, and of course, an election year in 2024. So you know we've got a lot of interesting stuff to keep our eyes open for. But uh, less room, I think, for uh, better than expected outcomes and, and, and a little bit more room for things going haywire. But nevertheless, um, our most likely scenario is still good performance from the economy, balanced performance from the short-term rental industry as well, and, and pretty, pretty respectable demand and supply growth. So now that you've thoroughly depressed me, I need you to give me one happy thought on maybe one happy data point that that makes you feel really good about the outlook for this next year oh my goodness uh one really healthy well i think you know it it's it's more it's more of a pattern i guess uh, one thing that has definitely made me happy all year long has been the labor market uh and jobs report that has just come out in november still very strong 199,000 uh new jobs added whittling away at the unemployment rate again. It was creeping back up and uh, we've got it back down again. So, you know, even if we have a slowdown, it's going to be a well-employed slowdown. And uh, that that is uh, certainly giving me cheer throughout the 2023. Yeah. Th- thank you for bringing me back to one of my favorite metrics, which is which is getting back to the the job market, getting back to the health of the the, the labor market of what we've, I think, both learned through the years. Like if people have jobs, if they're earning incomes, they're earning and those incomes are are growing faster than overall inflation. Then I mean, people are going to continue to take vacations. They're going to continue to spend on vacations, and we should expect an overall healthy lodging market. Absolutely. The only thing that has me concerned about next year's short-term rental market is all the interest in the uh, the shoulder season demand that we saw. I'm used to taking my vacations in September, October. I love the beach in September and October. It's 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 usually pretty empty, and uh, you know it's getting more and more full every year. So that's that's you know the only downside I can think of. Yeah, we're uh, actually I and mean, as we wrap this up, um, uh, heading down to Cape Sandblast uh, next week or the week after uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's. I guess that's like uh, super shoulder season, yeah. off season uh, down <laughs> at the beach like elbow season elbow season yeah <laughs> bram this has been delightful uh chatting with you about our our outlook report i'd highly suggest if anyone wants to push back or um uh dig in further with bram they they reach out to either me or him uh, we're happy to talk about our outlook we've got the report published on our website um that you can access today um at airdna.co backslash blog uh, to get access to it. Bram, thank you again so much. Any parting thoughts for our guests? Well, yes, thank you, Jamie. It's always uh, a great time on the uh, the STR Data Lab. 
And, uh, you know, I love gabbing about economics too. So certainly if anyone has any ideas, then, then feel free to, to drop us a line. But yeah, I would say Merry Christmas, Happy Vacation. Uh, and uh, I can't wait for the, uh, the year-end review for 2023 too. We can really put a, put a cap on this year. A bow on it. All right. Thanks, everyone.